Welcome to Shouts of Grace with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Pearson of Redemption Hill Church in Eagle Mountain, Utah. At Shouts of Grace, it's our purpose to encourage you to see the Bible as God's source of truth for everyday life and grace as the foundation for a genuine relationship with God. Today, Pastor Steve dives into Mark chapter 14, outlining why each of us is Barabbas from the story. Hmm. Here's Pastor Steve to tell us more. We're going to read in a second in Mark chapter 15 that they were envious of him. The Pharisees and the religious people were envious of him. There was something wicked in their heart that was moving against him. What am I talking about? You guys, many times when Jesus was going about and he was healing people, what does it say? The Bible tells us that the multitudes gathered. There was a lot of people. In fact, so many people at one time were coming after him. He couldn't even go into the city anymore. He had to meet out where nobody was so there would be more room. The people were coming to Jesus and the religious people hated it. And they hated him for it. In John 12, 19, when Jesus comes into the city and he's riding on the back of a donkey, the whole entire city of Jerusalem is in an uproar. And in John 12, 19, the Pharisees say, you see, we're gaining nothing. The whole world's going after this guy. The question is why? Why were the people going after him? Why weren't they, you know, doing their religious duties in the synagogue? And why weren't they, you know, going there? Why coming after him? You guys, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 10, Jesus does the unthinkable. We're told that after he calls Matthew to himself, who's a tax collector, Matthew invites all of his tax collecting friends over to his house, and Jesus comes over, and he reclines at the table, we're told, with tax collectors and whores. He reclined at the table, and we're told that as he was reclining there, a group of the religious people, a group of the people that got it all together, the holy and righteous ones, they came up to him, And they said, why are you eating with them? Do you know who they are? Do you know what they've done? These are are the immoral people. These are the unworthy people, the unrighteous people. Why are you eating with them? And Jesus looked at him and he said, as he's reclining, he said, oh man, I haven't come to call the righteous to repentance. I haven't come to call you, the holy ones, to repentance, but sinners. He said, it's not the healthy that need a physician, it's the sick. Jesus was letting them know, the people that were there, I'm okay with you. I'm okay with kicking it in your presence. I'm not offended. He didn't hold back the fact that they were sinners. He didn't hold back the fact that they need to repent. But listen, the sinners wanted to sit with him. They were wanting to be around him, not the religious people, not the priests and the Pharisees. And there's something in that, you guys. At that table were all makes and models of sinners. There were the immoral. There were the people that were addicted. There were the people that were ripping people off. All of them were there, and Jesus sat with all of them. As Pastor Jason said in, 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 in the in-between, he, he wasn't afraid to touch people. You see, the reason they were all going to him and the reason that they weren't going to the Pharisees is because these guys promoted a righteousness that was unattainable. Jesus would even say to them, to the Pharisees in Matthew 23. He said, the Pharisees sit themselves in the seat of Moses. Therefore, do everything that they say, only don't do what they do, for they tie tie heavy burdens around people's necks, and they themselves aren't willing to lift one finger themselves. So, what would you do? You have Jesus who's eating and drinking with tax collectors, sinners, and the worst of humanity, if you will, 
and they're coming to him, or the righteous people that are so holy that they look down and they say, man, I can't believe you act that way, and who are you? These men, these people made God unapproachable. They made him unknowable. The people were never gonna get to know the Lord. He's, they, they, through these people, Jesus was, or God was just this abstract concept who, who just you know, bore judgment on people for their bad conduct and their failure because they didn't keep the rules. These people had enough of it because that's their whole life. That's how they related to God. And most of these people couldn't relate to God and certainly God couldn't relate to them. You guys, the Pharisees promoted a God that didn't understand and didn't care about people's plight. And the reason, you guys, that the people felt this inside of them was because the law was pushed at them. It was pushed at them. If you just do this, if you just behave this way, if, you, if we can just get a better version out of yourself through regulating your conduct, then, then everything will be okay. You'll fit in. So just act this way. And even if you're not this way, just act this way. Dress this way. Say this thing so you fit in. Because we said, you know, weeks before, when you, know, when you come through the doors into the church, that's the stage. That's where the acting goes on. Put on your best view for people. That's what these people knew of religion. And so when Jesus showed up, he taught them very clearly that the law was not going to fix you because the law was never given to fix you. It was given to assess you. It was given to show you you can't be good enough for a holy God. You're bankrupt before God. What are you going to do? You're hosed at that point. And so the law only brought judgment. It only brought people into confrontation with themselves, and they were failures as are you and me and every person who has tried to approach God on the basis of their conduct because your conduct as good as you might think it is on Monday or Tuesday is going to backstab you on Wednesday and Thursday. When you make a commitment, I'm never going to do this again. I'm never going to watch that again. I'm never going to talk to him again. He's such a dirtbag. Hi. Right? <laughs> Our commitments are so shallow and powerless so what do you do? What does humanity do at that point? They're stuck in this place. God can't love them, right? Because God can't love something that's so unholy, so we would be told. But then comes Jesus, and he changes everything. He walks in, and he sits with them, and they laugh with him. Did he accept their sin? Of course not. Did he call them to repentance? Of course he did. But he's the guy who sits there in and, and, and the the, the, the woman who's just trashy crawls to his feet and wets his feet with her tears. And he says, man, this woman who's forgiven of much loves much. Then comes Jesus to the adulterous woman. Where are your accusers? I have none. Then neither do I condemn you. Then comes Jesus and everything changes. Now the sinner can see that God has never required me to live the perfect life because it's impossible. And here's what will happen if you try. You'll spend your life trying to be good enough and when you think you are, you'll be self-righteous and holy and then when you're not, you'll be, oh, I'm such a dirtbag, I don't wanna do this anymore. They made God unknowable 
And Jesus came, in Hebrews 1.3, says in the radiance and the exact imprint of the nature of God, God in human flesh, he came and he loved the sinner. And so they fell in love with him all over Jerusalem and they went out to him and they followed him where they, was, where they weren't doing that with the Pharisees. And nothing has changed in 2,000 years. Today, it's the same way. The Lord's still alive and there's still people and still men and still churches that are misrepresenting him him and making him unknowable. They're they're misrepresenting what grace is and grace is something you've got to earn. And so people are trying and they're trying and they're becoming frustrated and they're sitting at home. And you know what they ultimately do? They bump religion all together because if I can't do this, then I ain't even going to bother. And then comes Jesus and they realize that he is the perfect one for them. He lived the pleasing life to the Father. And now God takes his righteousness and puts it on the person who says, God, forgive me. You know, in every revival, folks, there are two things that is always true. Number one, people become aware of their own sin. In every revival throughout history, people become aware of who they are before a holy God. They don't look out at the Democrats or the Republicans or they don't look out at, you know, the Baptist church or the Mormon church or the Presbyterian church. They look inside to the broken heart and they become aware of their sin. And the second thing is they become aware of God's grace and mercy and his ability and willingness to forgive it. That's what inspires revivals because people can jam with that. You live with you. You know you. You're like, man, I can't believe I did this, but God, you're so good. Revivals take place. They start personally where you come in contact with who you are. God, I've broken. Why am I so screwed up? Why do I think this? Why, Why do I act this way? Why do I go to this? God, I'm messed up. And then God comes and says, yeah, you suck. You are. No, he doesn't say that. (laughs) Wrong church. (laughs) He says, I know, and I forgive you. I believe there's something happening. I've been a believer for 30 years. I I don't know that I've ever seen this happen right now. At this day and age, there is a revival happening. I can tell you, at least in Utah, I don't know about everywhere. I know a lot of churches are experiencing the same thing. What's happening? You guys, there's a generation of people that are coming up and they're done with religion. They're done with trying to please the family and the church and, of course, God. They're done and they got the reality of who they are and they just want to know, will somebody sit with me? Will Jesus sit with me in my condition? And there's something happening, man. People don't want that anymore. They want the person. They want Jesus. They, they don't have no problem with Jesus. They, they want him. They just don't want all the bad reps. Matthew cha- or Mark chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Immediately in the morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus, and they led him away, and they delivered him to Pilate. Then Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? He answered and said to him, it is as you say. And the chief priests accused him of many things, and he answered nothing. Then Pilate asked him again, saying, do you answer nothing? 
See how many things they testify against you? But Jesus still answered nothing, so that Pilate marveled. Now at the feast, he was accustomed to releasing one prisoner to them, whomever they requested. And there was one named Barabbas who was chained with his fellow rebels they, that had committed murder in the rebellion. Then the multitude, crying aloud, began to ask him, do you, began to ask him to do just as he had always done for them. But Pilate answered them, saying, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd so that he should rather release Barabbas to them. Pilate answered and he said to them again, what do you want me to do with him who is called the king of the Jews? So they cried out again, crucify him. Then Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? But they cried all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them, and he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him, and he led him to be crucified. Then the soldiers led him away into the hall of the praetorium, and they called together the whole garrison, and they clothed him with purple, and they twisted a crown of thorns, and they put it on his head, and they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. Then they struck him, and they led him, and they beat him with a reed, and they spit on him, and bowing the knee, they worshiped him. And when they had mocked him, they took the purple off him, put his own clothes on him, and led him out to be crucified. Then they compelled a certain man, Simon of Cyrene, the Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which is translated the place of the skull. And they gave him wine mingled with myrrh to drink, and he did not take it. And when they crucified him, they divided his garments, casting lots for them to determine what every man should take. Now it was the third hour, and they crucified him. And the inscription of the accusation was written above, the king of the Jews. With him there also were crucified two robbers, one on his right hand and the other on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, ah, one who destroys the temple and builds it in three days, save yourself and come down from that cross. Likewise, the priest, the chief priests also mocked among themselves with the scribes, saying to one another, he saved himself, he saved others, but he can't save himself. And finally, verse 32, let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from this cross that we may see and believe even those who were crucified with him mocked as well. One of the things that we discover in the book of Mark is he takes a 20,000 foot view, kind of a drive-by, and he shares kind of a, a brief, um, you know, um, uh, um, statement as where other gospels give more detailed. And so one of the things that we're gonna do over the next couple of weeks is we're gonna fill in the gaps from the other gospels so we can see what the complete story of the crucifixion looks like. You guys, when Jesus is delivered to Pilate the first time, they had already condemned him as a blasphemer right? We're, we're, we're told in Mark, in Mark 14, 61, the, the, the chief priest comes to him and says, tell me plainly, are you the Christ, the son of the living God? And Jesus said, I am. And from this point on, you're going to see the son of God coming in the clouds with great glory. And he answered Jesus and he said, what further need do we need? Blasphemy, tore his clothes and said, this guy's worthy of death. The Sanhedrin council all agreed at night, he's worthy of death. Here was the problem. They weren't allowed to kill anybody. 
They weren't allowed to kill him. And so what are they going to do at this point? You guys, when John records the first interaction with Pontius Pilate and, 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 and they bring Jesus to him, Pilate asks him, uh, what accusation are you bringing against this guy? And, and what evil is it? And in verse 31 of John 18, here's what it says. When Pilate heard that evil was being accused, he was like, oh, so this is a moral issue. This is great. Judge him yourself according to your law. You got a law, you judge him. It wasn't lawful for them to put someone to death. So this is where they changed their angle. They no longer would accuse him of moral blasphemy, but they would accuse him legally. They would bring in a legal accusation against him. And so they would tell Pilate, Pilate, he's made himself out to be a king. And if he makes himself out to be a king, he ain't a friend of Caesar. And if you let him go, you're not a friend of Caesar. Now he got Pilate's attention. Now Pilate was like, oh boy, my life could be on the line for this. So when he hears this, the other gospels tells us Pilate is afraid. And so he pulls Jesus inside and he looks at him, he says, who are you? Are you a king? We're gonna see this next week. Pilate really wanted to let him go, but he feared the people and he feared the crowd and they railroaded him in to something that if he, if, if he was bold enough, he would have said, okay, you're out of here. But it's interesting, you guys, the Jews weren't having it because in verse 11, it says they stirred up the crowds. You see, you guys, on their own, the Pharisees were not going to be able to get this done. They weren't going to be able to have him crucified. They needed the support of the masses. They needed for something to change. The masses four days earlier were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Woohoo, King Jesus. Yes, we love you. We're for you. As they threw down their branches and their garments. And they needed that changed because the people held him to be the Messiah. They held him to be a prophet. So there was no way that they were gonna be able to do this without their support. Well, they got it. They convinced the crowds. And before you know it, the crowds were saying, crucify him. The same ones that were saying, we love you, were now saying, crucify him. I wanna close by focusing on a man in the narrative. The man is you, your in this narrative this morning. Your life, you're here. If you're watching online, God wrote you in. You say, what are you talking about? We're told in verse six that there was a custom that every year at the Passover, Pilate or the Roman you know, ruler would release a criminal to the Jews as an act of mercy or grace. And we're told as the crowd gathered in verse seven, there was a man or there was one named Barabbas. I want you to stop there and I want you to put your name in there. There was one named, put your name in there. Barabbas had committed a crime against Rome. He had committed a crime against Caesar, the king. He usurped the king, the rightful ruler. He was imprisoned for it. He was guilty, as were all of his friends. And he was sentenced to die because of the crime that he had committed against the king, against Caesar. While awaiting the sentence to die by crucifixion, because this is what the Romans did when they judged people being guilty of a crime, he's sitting in a prison and the most incredible thing happens. His prison door opens and a voice cries out, Barabbas, at which point you know he's probably thinking to himself, here we go, here we go, I'm gonna go down fighting. Man, I'm a dead man walking, all right, let's do this. Barabbas. I'm here. You're free to go. What? 
utter shock had to have come upon him. What, what do you mean? I'm, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I, I, I admit it. I'm guilty. I, I'm going to die here. This is what I'm going to do. I defied Caesar. I'm guilty. What do you mean I'm free to go? This, how in the world is this even possible? At which point the guard would have said, because someone else is taking your place. What? Someone else is taking your place. They are going to die today instead of you. You are free to go. You guys, you and I are Barabbas in that story. We're the criminals. You say, whoa, man, I'm a criminal. I, I, I keep the law. I don't even speed. You're a liar too. <laughs> the Bible says we brought sin into the world. What God made, he made beautiful and perfect and said it is good. We messed this up. And so we're the ones responsible. If you don't like the outworking of sinful man, then we're to blame corporately as a race of, humi- of, of, of humans. We, we did this. God made it perfect and told us, don't do this. If you do this, dying, you will die. And the curse came into the world. And listen, nobody ever, I don't care from the beginning or to now, nobody ever thinks the cost of sin will cost what it does when they first do it. You never think it's going to be that expensive. You never think your heart's going to be broken during the early days where everything's wonderful and beautiful. We just got married and now, bam, crash and burn seven years later and we're in divorce court. Well, it's his fault. It's her fault. It's the fault of humanity. We brought sin into the world and we screwed it up. So we can't turn to the God who made it perfect and say, what have you done? You and I did this. We're the criminals. The Bible says against God and God alone have we sinned. We're the ones that are guilty. We're the ones who are imprisoned. We made the prison of our own choosing. When we don't go God's way, we create the bars that lock us down and hold us. We're the ones that find ourselves addicted to things that we should have never got involved with to begin with. We're the ones that find ourselves messed up in our head because somebody's been allowed access, you know, to to play with my emotions because I gave my heart. We create our own prison. And sin as a whole, creation as a whole, is awaiting judgment and then redemption. God will fix it. Jesus said, do not think that I have come into the world to judge the world, but to save it, for the world's already been judged. It's already awaiting its sentence. So here we are. We created the hardship in the world. We're the ones that created the prison, and we're living in it, and then something amazing happens. Into your cell, you hear a voice. God loves you. And God will forgive you because God became flesh and dwelt among us and lived the perfect life on your behalf so you won't have to strive for something you could never attain in this life. And he will take the righteousness of God and he will put it to your account. And when he does, you're free. We serve such an incredible God. And he loves you. And listen, he's not mad at you. He's not mad at you. Come on. Man, you got to get out of that cell. Jesus, I am Barabbas. I'm the one that should have died. 
I'm the one that should have been judged. I'm the guilty one. You're the righteous one. And I will never, this side of eternity and probably for all eternity, understand why you would come after a person like me and you would find him and you would save him. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Shouts of Grace with Pastor Steve Pearson. We hope you've been encouraged to see the Bible as God's source of truth for everyday life and grace as the foundation for a genuine relationship with God. If you've been encouraged in your journey following and learning more about Jesus, we would love to hear from you. You can visit us online at shoutsofgraceradio.com. There you can listen to all of our episodes, share them online with your friends, and find out more about Pastor Steve. Shouts of Grace is an outreach of Redemption Hill Church in Eagle Mountain, Utah, and we invite you to attend our Sunday morning gatherings. For location, sermon times, and contact information, check us out at rhutah.church. Thank you again for joining us on today's show. And from all of us here at Shouts of Grace, it is our prayer that you would grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Shouts of Grace is a production of Key Radio. Shouts of Grace.